your Bibles and open up to Judges 6. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. Should we start over? <laughs> well, everybody, I guess they're not there, you know. Don't make me do it. I'll do it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges. And the book of Judges, oh no, is the children of Israel have been brought into the promised land. It's a good day. Joshua led them in there. The Hebrew word for Joshua is the Greek and English word for Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus as he delivers us from Egypt and brings us into the promised land. And Joshua plopped him in there. But not too long after they got saved and got brought into the promised land, battles and wars and defeat began to come up all around them. And we've chosen to title our study through the book of Judges, Stories of Failures and Forgiveness. How many of you guys have found yourself since becoming a Christian failing in your Christianity? You said yes to Jesus, gave your life to God, started living for him, and all of a sudden, whoop, squirrel, and you go the wrong way and chase the wrong thing. And you find yourself defeated and things come up. This happens to each and every one of us. It's really frustrating. And yet God gives us the entire book of Judges. And he raises up 12 to 13 judges in the whole 16 chapters. And these judges are given to the children of Israel to deliver them from the hand of the Midianites. And the hand of the Amalekites. And the hand of the flashlights. And the hand of the websites. And all these things. And I don't know what your battle is right now. But I'm so grateful that God knows your battle. And he's been so patient with us. We're studying a 4,000-year-old story right now. This happened a long time ago, yet it's the same God, and you're made of the same makeup of these people. And so when we learn from their stories and their experiences, God says, hey, I want you to learn something so you can run your race different, so you can figure something out on somebody else's bill. And right now we're studying the story of Gideon. Gideon, God met him and called him a mighty man of valor and then begin to, listen, it's important, reveal himself to Gideon. And when Gideon saw the Lord, he finally had his eyes opened up and he realized he was talking to God. He thought he was gonna die. Remember this, ah, I saw the Lord. And the Lord spoke and said, no, no, you're not gonna die. If you were gonna die, I would've killed you a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? That's kind of funny. But he didn't kill him. Instead, he bore him again. He was born again. And when you see the Lord... Isn't that a good day? Isn't that a good day? Remember when you first saw the Lord? And when your eyes were opened up, when he touched your heart, forgave your sins, filled you with his spirit, and you began to then go on your journey. It's a radical day. Maybe some of you, today's that day where you want to see, but you don't see. But as you draw near to the Lord, he opens up your eyes. And when you see him, the Lord then begins to do a work in you. Listen, so he can do a work through you. And he began that work of salvation. Last week, we studied primarily the work then that comes after salvation, which is sanctification, where the Lord loves you so much just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to keep you the way you are. Amen? You can't sin successfully if you're a Christian. He won't let you get away with that because he wants more for your life. Two radical principles that you need to understand about the Lord. He wants the best for you. You guys believe that? He wants the best for you. He's always out for your best interest. When he says don't do or do do, he says that for your best interest. He wants the best for you, but he also wants the best from you. He made you in his image. He knows what, dare I say it this way and don't overdevelop this, but he knows what you're capable of with him as the Holy Spirit fills you. And he looks at your life, and he looks at our lives, and he says, hey, I want the best for you, but man, come closer. I want the best from you. And he sanctifies us. And the Bible actually says, Jesus speaking, that the Father's will in your life is that you be a fruit producer, that you produce fruit, fruit, much fruit, and more fruit. 
See, the Lord is trying to make us a fruity church. <laughs> Fruitful. Roots down, fruits out. What's going on? Why is this difficult? Why do I find myself dealing with this issue? And the Lord says, hey, listen, if I prune you, that means to cut back the leafy branches that don't produce fruit. They just steal nutrients and deceive the people around us. Well, that's a fruitful tree, isn't it? And you start looking for fruit, and there's nothing there. And he prunes those branches. And you who are botanists or horticulturists or whatever, you guys who grow stuff, you guys know that as you prune stuff back, it causes more fruit to be produced. Check this out. Most of you know this in the study of John 15 in the pruning story, that it's not just a cutting back of the leafy branches that produce no fruit, take nutrients, and deceive others. But pruning can also be where the grapes have grown on the vine, and the grapes are so big and juicy that they begin to hang low, and as they hang low, they get in the dirt, and they're covered with mud, and the sun can't sweeten them anymore. And pruning can actually be defined and interpreted as taking the grapes and washing them, cleaning them up, and then putting them up a little higher so they're staying out. And that's a process. And sometimes the Lord in our lives, he sanctifies us and he washes the fruit that's already there. And he says, hey, I got to prop this up a little bit. This fruit's so good. This is so good, but it's hanging down a little low. And the Lord begins to adjust our lives. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys right now feel like the Lord's adjusting your life constantly? I'll raise my hand for us. Constantly. That's good news. I'll, say, I'll put a warning out there actually at this point. If you don't feel like the Lord's adjusting your life, if he's not pruning you, lifting you up, or cutting away branches, it, it, it could be because you're not his kid. It could be because you're not born again. Just like I don't discipline and prune and lead my own or kids that aren't mine in that way. I've got three kids, and man, they know how to be disciplined and pruned and led in that way. So too in our lives, the pruning of God is a good thing. It means God is for you, wants the best for you and from you. Listen, though. As you continue in your maturation process, and we saw God call Gideon to sanctification. He says, go to your dad's house. There's all kinds of silly things going on there. Get rid of the Astra pole and get rid of this altar that's to Baal. Tear it down and build a new altar to God and sacrifice and lead these 10 other homies and stand in righteousness. And you guys know the story. I'm reteaching it from last week. And then the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he blew the trumpet. Everyone give me a trumpet. What's your trumpet? Give me, give me one. <laughs> Okay, that was just, <laughs> so weird. Any trumpet players here? You're so offended right now. That's not a trumpet, you know. Gideon blows the trumpet, and the Abizarites, his family, are joined to him. And he goes throughout all Manasseh, and the Naphtalians, and the Asherites, and the Zebulonites. They all gather to him, thirty-two thousand in number. Whoa! How cool is this? Gideon's not a warrior. He's not a leader. He's hiding in the cellar making bagels for himself to stuff his face with. And yet God begins to change his life. God calls him beyond where he is now to do more than he could ever imagine, think, or even put into practice. This is what God does for you. I'm not messing with you. You say yes to the Lord every single day for the rest of your life. Lord, take me right now as I am. Have your best in me and do with me what you want. In Jesus' name, amen, every single day. Put the armor of God on and let's go. And God will take you as unqualified as you are and he will qualify you because he qualifies the called. He calls you and he equips you along the way. Remember that verse? I'm gonna read it to you. It says, but the spirit of the Lord, verse 34, chapter six, came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet and the Abizarites gathered behind him. What happened before he blew the trumpet? The Holy Spirit descended upon him. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Every single day for every single thing. Lord, would you fill me again? 
be filled with, the Bible says in the New Testament, don't be drunk with wine, which is, leads to dissipation, which is craziness and, and, and untetheredness. But he says, he balances it, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the Greek there, it's literally be being filled, which means every single day, all day, Lord, I need some more, top it off, top it off. You guys all have vehicles. You know what it's like when you get a full gas, you need to go to the gas station and fill it up, please. And they're like, it's $700, sir. They're like, okay, you know. Gas is crazy right now, but you know what it's like? I need to be filled again. And so encouraging is it to be filled in our families, our ministries, and to see then the Lord do things that we could never do for ourselves. I believe that's what's happening here at South Beach Church, that the Lord is filling the people here at South Beach Church. He's filling this little funky warehouse. He's filling the, the Oregon coast. Matter of fact, there's a text thread going on of all the pastors up and down the Oregon coast, all the way down to Crescent City, all the way up to Seaside now story, and we text each other and just pray for each other on Sundays, and we are sensing this revival happening on the west coast going eastward. It's happening right here, and that, oh, praise the Lord. Do it, Lord. Fill us. And he bounds the horn, and people show up in droves, and people are there. Listen, I want you guys to pay attention as we're going to jump a ditch here. You're saved, praise God, and then you're sanctified. The work begins. God begins to, and he'll never stop. He begins to sift through the old things. But not only are you saved and sanctified, but then what the Lord moves to do next is he begins to then strengthen the faith that is in you already. Because your faith, your belief in God right now is enough to save you. It's called saving faith. But he wants to take your faith as it is and strengthen it. And in order to do that, he's going to test you daily. In order to do that, he's going to use you in ways and capacities that are beyond your understanding or limits in order to make your faith in him stronger than it ever has been. Remember, the acronym for faith is forgetting all, I trust him. And maybe in your life right now in situations, there's things so big and insurmountable and confusing and even opposing, man, I just got to forget all that stuff and trust him. Because if you look at all the stuff that's in front of you, all the things that are weighing against you and calculate those and put those on the chart, man, you're in trouble. And God often calls us to situations that are beyond us in order that our faith would grow. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, I'm gonna read it to you. It says this. It says, now faith, that's what we're talking about, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is internal. It's something that is substance, but we can't see it. It's something that the Lord is working in you right now because faith, unfortunately, isn't just a pill you take, but it's a muscle you work. And as you find yourself coming into resistance in your marriage, resistance in your singleness, resistance in your relationships, resistance in your interpersonal traumas and dramas, oh, Lord, what's happening? And the Lord sits back and hands you a little rag and says, wipe that sweat off your brow. We're going another round. He wants to grow in you. We're going to see that in Gideon's life today. So I'm going to say a prayer. Did I already pray yet? Let's pray before we go any further. And let's ask the Lord to strengthen us and to take us right where we're at to do a work in us. Father, in Jesus' name, we do. We bow our hearts and our knees before you. We bow our heads and close our eyes. And we thank you, Jesus, for the work you've done. We really do. We humble ourselves. We think of Gideon who the Spirit came upon. He took steps of obedience and you honored him. And you put a trumpet in his hand and he began to blow on it. And people showed up, and revival began. Lord, I guarantee you, Gideon was freaking out, looking around. Why me? And the Lord says, well, it really doesn't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with me. Gideon, just keep pointing people to me. And I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that our lives would point people to you, Jesus. That even as our faith is called upon and strengthened, Lord, that the reflection of your glory in the fruit of our lives would be to your account, to your glory, all about you, Jesus. 
And I pray, Lord, for this congregation now as we get into your word, that you would wash us with your word, cleanse us and heal us, and set us on that path, Lord, to be fruit producers, to be faith walkers, to be those who have our eyes on you. So even right now, before we begin, we say yes and amen, Jesus, have your way. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to be more about your business. Do to us now and in us and through us what you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Look at verse 36 of chapter 6. It says, so Gideon said to God, this is right after the group gathered, 32,000, right after the sanctification began, right after the filling was his, and Gideon goes to the Lord now, and he says, Lord, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, I've got that highlighted, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor, and if there's dew on the fleece only, and it's dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now, I've got, as you have said, underlined and highlighted twice, because he said it twice. Do you see the flow? Gideon goes to God. He's like, hey, remember that time you said you were going to do this? Well, if you really did say it, as you said you said it, would you do this for me so I know that what you said is really what you said? Because I know you said it. You said it twice. But would, I just need to know that you really said it. Gideon here is working out his salvation with fear and trembling, and he's strengthening his faith. Look at what God does. Verse 38. And so it was when he arose early the next morning that he squeezed the fleece together. He wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. What? I don't know how big this bowl was. It probably wasn't your like Cuisinart five-quart bowl, you know, it's the Middle East. It probably small bowls. But I thought about bringing up a towel and soaking it in water and trying to fill it with ringed-out water. It would be a lot of water to fill a bowl, would it not? This would be an unmistakable confirmation. Lord, here's a dry fleece. When I wake up, let it be soaked and let everything around it be dry. Wouldn't that be crazy if the Lord did that? <laughs> He's, he wakes up, and there it is, and he rings it out. Oh, now we know. Well, not Gideon. You guys know the story. Verse 39, then Gideon said to God, hey, don't be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the ground, but let there be dew everywhere else. Verse 40, and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Poor Gideon. God has moved so powerfully in his life. Revelation, divine filling, victory over sin, a following of 32,000 people. And yet Gideon's like, you know, I'm kind of struggling in my faith. I'm not quite sure it's all going to work out. <laughs> Do you ever feel this way? Do you ever have what we're going to call honest doubts? Raise your hand if you have honest doubts. Okay, keep your hand down if you're a liar. That's fine. <laughs> honest doubts. You know what God said, but you're struggling to believe. Now, let me just make sure we understand. I believe this is the home crowd advantage. We have honest doubts. There are other people in the world. Maybe you're here watching online or just visiting today. You have dishonest doubts dishonest questions. There are people, maybe you're like me and like Gideon and like the rest of us, where you're going through life and your faith is growing and it's being tested and uh, you're struggling. Not because you want to struggle, but you're just struggling. And you have an honest question, an honest doubt. Lord, I really I need to know, like Gideon here, I need to know what's going on. Lord, I know, I know you said you love me. I know you said you'd forgive me. And I know you said if I confess with my mouth and believe my heart, I'll be saved. But Lord, I just don't know if I'm really saved. Some of you have prayed that prayer. Honestly, I'll doubt 
doubting. Other people, I've been doing this long enough where I get into people who want to come against Christianity and against the Bible, and they have doubts and questions, but they're not honest doubts. They're just divisive doubts. They don't want to believe. They're not really looking for answers. Here's the deal. Gideon here, in his humility and in his lack of faith, really does need confirmation. It's just where he's at. And it's not so much a story of how we get confirmation and what it looks like to put a fleece out. That's not the moral of the story. You know what the moral of the story is? God's patience and God's kindness with Gideon. He shouldn't have, he should have looked at Gideon and said, bro, I ain't doing anything else for you. I did enough. Go. I told you what to do. But not just one night, but two nights. How long is the Lord having to wait for Gideon? Remember early on when Gideon and the Lord were having a meal there and, and the Lord told him, I'm going to do this. And Gideon's like, whoa, 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 just, I, just can, can I do one thing quickly? Can I go make you an offering? And God's like, I'll wait for you. Like, how long did that take? And so Gideon's gone. It's like eight hours. He comes like, I'm so sorry. It was crazy at the grocery store. You ever been to JC Market? It's crazy. You know, <laughs> and he puts out the offering and God just immediately confirms it. And here now in this story, one night, he's like, hey, just, I got a whole night of processing. I know we're supposed to rock and roll right now and we've got to go, but can you just, you know, just meet me in the middle? And the Lord's like, okay, okay. I'll, I'll put dew all over this bad boy so you know, for, that you know that you know that you know that you know that you know. I'll do it. And then the next day, he's like, oh, forgive me. Don't get mad at me. Can I just test the fleece one more time? I say all that to God's account because he's so gracious and kind with you. So gracious and kind with me and with Gideon. Just like you, mom and dads, are raising your kids to the best of your ability. You're gracious and kind with them and their irrational doubts and their fears and the things that they're working through. And to the best of your abilities, you're raising up your kids. You want them to know it's going to be okay. You want them to be successful. So too, this is a picture of God's love for you and the way that God wants us to love and bear with one another in the working out of our sanctification, but also of the strengthening of our faith. And let me just say that right now. Right now, what's going on in your life isn't really about what's going on in your life, but it's about the faith that is more precious to God that perishes by fire, and he's refining your faith in everything that's going on right now. The things that are happening in your life, they're very real. The illnesses, the frustrations, the fractured relationships, the questions, the challenges, the losses, they're real. They're very real. But I need you to understand something. God is raising up things in your life that seem to be insurmountable and in the way. But God is doing that on purpose. He's putting mountains in your path, giants on the hill, in order to raise up mountain climbers and giant slayers. This is who Gideon is. And God is raising him up and growing his faith down that he might lead and that he might lead valiantly to the people of God around him. And I want to I want to settle into that process. Maybe you're in the sanctification process right now, and the Lord's revealing some things that are incongruent with his Holy Spirit. Let's deal with that stuff. We learned this last week that this sanctification process, it keeps us humble. Nothing better than humility. There really isn't. Jesus said, I give grace to the humble, but resistance to the prideful. I have found in my own life, if I have too many good days in a row, I kind of become hard to be around. You know what I'm saying? A little bit too prideful, a little bit too full of myself, and the Lord allows me to fall off my horse every once in a while. Because humility is precious in the sight of You can humble yourself, though. You don't need to fall off the horse. Sanctification will keep you humble, but it'll also keep you growing more like Jesus. And if you think you're special here this morning, you think you've got a few things figured out, theologically, you've got the end times all figured out, and you've got the Old Testament all figured out, and you've got Greek and Hebrew all figured out, and who cares? If you don't have love. If you don't have humility. It's nothing. It's nothing. And if you have love and humility... Man, bullseye. 
That's what the Lord's looking for. And so when you keep being sanctified, you become more like Jesus. And also sanctification, we learned this last week, keeps us relating to other people. As we find ourselves, oh, you're working through that too? Oh, me too. Oh, you lost a loved one? You lost your job? Things didn't work out for you? Oh, man, I, I went through that. Oh, you just got out of jail or you just got a divorce? Oh, my gosh, I, man, it's so embarrassing. I, I went through the same thing. And all of a sudden, you find yourself connecting with people in ways that only through sanctification and humility, that will happen. And as then you process like our brother Gideon does and you get the Holy Spirit to come upon you and you trust him, what's happening next is that there's going to be a strengthening of your faith. And I don't know what point to really hammer down. I was putting my notes together and I had four pages on this one section just right here of what happens in our Christianity as we begin to push back on the Lord and, and wonder, like brother Gideon, wow, I know you've been so faithful even just in my recent past, but can you prove it again, Lord? Can you pray? And God acquiesces to him, and he's so patient. But wouldn't it be awesome if we came to a conclusion in our faith where God said it, I believe it, and that settles it? Wouldn't that be so fun? It would change everything about the way your blood pressure rises and the way your hairs turn gray and fall out and about the way that your frown gets turned upside down. If you just believe that God is good all the time and all the time God is good, I had breakfast with my friend Don uh, Withrow over here on Thursday after prayer. We went and prayed, and then he took me out to Pig and Pancake, and we got some scrambled eggs and some pancakes and bacon. So good. And I was talking to Don, and he gave me his testimony. He said, man, he's, how old are you, 105? How old are you? No, 88. 88 years old. In his own words, he said, Luke, ever since I started believing God's word, as he said, it just changes everything. I, I read it. I, my Bible changes with his own quote. I read it. I believe it. If I don't get it, I just choose to believe it. That settles it. I don't have to get it. I don't have to have all the answers. Sometimes we just demand all the answers and show me how it's going to go. That's the opposite of faith. Forgetting all I trust him. Faith is the evidence of things unseen, the substance of things hoped for. And when God calls you, you have a choice. Believe it or not. And again, if you have honest doubts, if you're working out your salvation, your faith is growing right now, I, I get it. He'll be tender to you. You got to go to him and say, Lord, I, I, I want to believe. But my believer's broken. My believer's dusty. My knower, it's not working in these new batteries. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, by the way. If you want to grow in your faith, you need to be a Bible guy or a Bible gal. Read the word every single day. Read the word every single day. It's August and tomorrow, isn't it? Don't forget to grab your August 5x5 reading program and get into God's word and get God's word into you. If your faith is struggling right now, you find yourself with an Eeyore mentality and the sky is falling and chicken little and nobody can help and it's all freaking out. I'm just gonna ask you, how much word are you eating throughout the month? Because if you're a Bible guy or a Bible gal, you'll see the same thing everybody sees. We all see it. Everybody sees the economy. Everyone sees the fears. Everyone sees the future. But if you have eyes to see it by faith, oh, Blessed is your life going to be, and God's going to use you. Now, let me just give a few examples in the Old Testament of men who heard God's word and, and didn't believe it. They had questions. Moses is one of them. Remember Moses? God met him with the burning bush, and the fire did not consume the bush. Pretty good sign. I'll take one of those. You know what I'm saying? Take your sandals off your feet. He's talking to this bush, and the bush tells Moses, I'm going to use you to deliver the children of Israel. He's like, ah, stop right there, Mr. Burning Bush got some questions for you. 
You remember that story? It's crazy. It's in Exodus chapter four, and Moses is like, stop right there. I've been doing this for a while. I've got a couple problems. And the Lord says, let me just do something with you, Momo. And he says, what's in your hand? He says, he's got a stick. And you guys can read the story, Exodus four, one through 14. He says, take this stick and throw it on the ground. He takes it on, on throws it on the ground, and it turns into a snake. What does Moses do? Anybody remember? He takes off running. Ah! You know, and he runs from it. What a baby. By the way, if you like snakes, snakes are satanic. So stop it, okay? I'm just telling you. I'm just kidding. That didn't come out right. But anyways, he runs from the snake. And the Lord's like, hey, Moses, this is going to be a long day. Go back and grab the snake. Because I want to show the people of Egypt what you're going to do. And so he grabs the snake by the tail and it becomes a rod again. Whoa, that's a big deal. He says, let me do something else, Momo. You're not going to, you have questions? Take your hand and put it in your bosom. And he puts it in his robe. He says, now take it out. And he takes it out and it's leprous with leprosy, white as snow. In the olden days, leprosy was uncurable. It was a picture of sin and death. And he pulls his hand out. That's not a good day. He says, put it back in your bosom. And I was like, no problem. You know, he hides it. And he pulls it out again and it's healed. Whoa. And he says, in case you need more. And God just keeps working with Moses. He says, now take some water out of the Nile. Just dump it out. And he dumps it out. And it goes from water to blood. Now, there's so many pictures in this, the leprosy and the blood and the rod and the snake and all of these transformations. I believe speaking of God's salvation that he brings to us, us, his full rule over everything around us. Another guy that heard God in his life was Job. Job suffered major loss and began to push back on the Lord, asking questions. What about this? What about that? Read it in your own time today. If you have enough caffeine in your coffee, chapters 38, 39, and 40, God looks at Job and says, Job, why don't you go and have a seat? I'm going to ask you a few questions. And then God goes through a litany of questions. Where were you when I created the world? Were you there? Where were you when I put the hail in its storehouse? Where were you when I made the eagle soar? Where were you? And he just asked him all these proverbial questions, putting Job in his place. And at the end of this, in Job chapter 40, the Bible says, Job responds. He says, I have spoken, and now I will put my hand over my mouth. Job! Man, speaking of hand over your mouth, remember Zechariah, when Zechariah, was an old guy, went into the temple to offer sacrifices, Luke chapter one and two, he goes in there and he meets an angel in the temple and they're there and the angel says, hey, your prayers have been heard. Elizabeth's gonna have a kid. And he starts laughing. He's like, she ain't no spring chicken, bro. And I'm kind of old too, like, you know what I'm saying? And the angel looked and the angel says this, do you know who I am? I am an angel that stands in the very presence of God. In order that you know that this is going to happen, you're going to be mute for the entire pregnancy. Man, a woman's dream come true. (laughs) Husband can't talk for nine months. (laughs) Anyways, you guys know, and until the baby was born, the baby was born, and they were trying to name him uh, Zachariah, because they named after the firstborn, and Zachariah said no, and he shook his head, and he grabbed an iPad or a tablet, and he wrote on there, his name is John, because that's what the angel told him. You guys know, as soon as he agreed with the prophecy... His lips were loosed. Let me just say this, friends. When we push back on God and his promises, well, I know that's what he said, but look at the circumstances. Everything's old, everything's diseased, everything's chaotic. Moses had so many excuses. I can't talk very well. And God looked at him and said, did I not make the mouth of man? Did I not make you? Am I not in charge? How crazy that we push back on God and his promises and doubt what he can do. You know why we do that? Because we factor ourselves into the situation and the scenario. We factor ourselves into the equation. Well, I don't really know much, and I don't really have much, and I don't really do much. And the Lord smiles and says, perfect. That sounds perfect. I love to use the weak things and the base things and the small things in order to confound the wise, yourself included. 
honestly, we're a Calvary Chapel church, and we're partnered with so many Calvary Chapel churches just like ours that it is so incredible what God has done in the Calvary Chapel movement. If you haven't seen the Jesus Revolution movie, rent it, stream it, do whatever you could go find it. And God chose and has chosen to raise up people over the years that are unqualified, maybe even disqualified. And as they put their attention and affection into the Lord Jesus Christ, he does amazing things. He takes the small people, the weak people, the ones who don't have it all together, and he loves to do what we could never do for ourselves. This is great news for me. Hopefully it's great news for you too. I have to believe the promises of God. I have no other choice. One time a family was visiting from Texas or something or Dallas Fuller University, some, some seminary, and they were so blessed by what we're doing here. And I remember I was talking to them. They said, where did you get your training at? And I said, Jackson County Jail. <laughs> That's about it, you know. I got no training. I got no education. I never graduated high school, never finished college. None of that. But what I do have is I have a God that can do all things through people who surrender themselves to him. A God that calls and he qualifies the called. You know who did listen to the Lord and didn't push back when God said, I'm going to do something crazy in your life? Abraham. Did you know that when God called Abraham, he was a pagan idolater living in the land of the Chaldeans amongst the people of Ur? He didn't know God, didn't know anything. His life was all messed up. And the Lord chose and visited him and said, follow me. Follow me. Walk off your map. I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And you know what Abraham said? He said, far out, let's do it. Let's do it. And the Bible says that because, listen, it's very important. Because Abraham simply believed God, that's all he did. He didn't do anything right yet. He never built an altar, never worshiped, never did anything right, but he simply believed the Lord. The Bible says that was accounted to him for righteousness. And God called him his friend. Whoa. It's as if God was up in heaven saying, are you, you for real? You just believe me? far out man let's do it wow that's the righteousness i'm looking for and that's the relationship i'm looking for and you can have honest doubts i do too but what the lord wants to do is test you every single day for the rest of your life he's already tested you you have a whole list of things where the lord's delivered you from and he wants to test you so that way you simply believe in him and you become closer to him he's looking for a relationship with you And the best relationships are those who've been through fires and who've been through trials and who've made it through difficulties. And the next time that mountain is formed in front of you or that giant yells at you, know that God's raising up mountain climbers and giant slayers. That's what he's doing right now. Because there's a wondering and wandering and hurting world that doesn't know what's going on. And they're looking for answers and looking for a savior. And Jesus has said, when you are broken, when you are challenged, when you are tested, and you continue to keep your eyes on me, that's so bright, that's so salty and so light, light and light of the world and the salt of the earth, and God uses you in powerful ways. All this is happening. And you might be like Job going through a season. You got some questions for the Lord. He knows. He'll give you answers. He'll sit you down. You might be like Zechariah. You might be like Moses. But let's try and be like Abraham and like David who just loved the Lord, who simply read his word, heard his spirit, and obeyed his orders, and trusted God to work out everything around us. And not just that, but to work into us the things that he wants to work into us. And before I even lose this thought, how does that look in your life? He's working out your faith right now. You might not say, well, I'm not questioning God. I'm just not walking in peace. It's the same thing. You might say, well, I'm not questioning God. God's going to do it. He's going to figure it out. I'm just not a very loving person. Or I'm not a very forgiving person. 
or I'm not a very serving person. All of those are direct outworkings of not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he said he's going to do and what he already has done. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And when I find myself all bound up in fears and in trials and tribulations that are vertical, they're evidenced horizontally. And I find myself leading differently and relating differently and processing differently. And the Lord wants to set us free. And you might say, well, I'm not questioning the Lord. But really it comes out in the way that we complain, the way that we criticize, the way that we don't grace the people around us. And all the while, the Lord is up in heaven saying, I will be faithful to finish the work I began in you. Do you believe me? But Lord, what about this and what about that? Oh, See, Gideon here cries out to the Lord. He has questions. And let me just talk about this whole fleece thing. You've heard that said if you're a Christian. You've learned some Christ- Christianese along the way. Haven't you learned some Christianese, you know? And, well, I'm just going to put a fleece out there and see if the Lord wants me to do it. This is described, but I don't believe this is prescribed. It's described because it happened. I don't personally believe that the Lord wants us to be a bunch of people putting fleeces out because he wants us to be led by the Spirit. He's already declared and told us many things that we just need to act upon. Sometimes, though, we're like, well, I'll do that if the Lord shows me a sign. And he's already told you to do it. Lord, I'm going to forgive that person if I see a red Corvette drive by my house right now. You know? And you live in you know, Toledo. There's no Corvettes driving around, you know? And, or I, the first car I saw this morning on Highway 101 was a red Corvette. Larry drove by, you know? And was that a sign? No, it's not a sign, you know? I just love Larry. And we put these fleeces out from time to time, and we just wonder, we've all done it before. Lord, if you really love me, show me a shooting star, and you go outside, you know, the Lord told you he loves you. And I would just be very careful. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, there's only one fleece ever, it's the drawing of straws, ever even recorded, and it's in the book of Acts chapter 2. Only once are they picking some new apostles, and only once do they ever do that. After that, after Acts chapter 2 in that scene, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Never once again do they draw straws, roll dice, or put fleeces out. Instead, they hear God's spirit. I don't think this is a prescription. I think it's just a description of what happened. But I can relate. I can relate to what he's going through and what's happening. I would also say this. Before you are tempted to wrestle with the Lord like this, context is king. Gideon did this. He's kind of having a bad night. He's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this is a big deal, Lord. I just need some confirmation. And if you're going to wrestle with the Lord, don't be lazy about it. Okay, it's okay to wrestle with the Lord and get confirmation. Maybe you're buying a house, maybe you're selling, maybe you're moving, maybe you're getting married. It's okay to wrestle with the Lord. This wasn't just the first thing he did, though. Remember the first thing he did? He cooked a meal for the Lord and he worshiped. First thing he did is he worshiped in that way. He built an altar. He's built two altars at this point. And he also broke down some altars. And he led the people. And he assembled the gathering. And he did all these things. So before he starts asking for confirmation and double signs, he's put some real work in occasionally in our lazy Christianity, our fast food faith system we have, we just expect and demand a quick answer from the Lord. And the Lord says, hey man, I haven't even talked to you in a while. What's been going on? And I would just say context is king. This didn't just happen lazily. He did this after much investing already. His faith is growing and this takes time. And God is building up his faith through the giants and the mountains around it. I love verse 40 again. Let's end with that thought. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Man, this, this might have just been between Gideon and the Lord, but he wakes up just giddy the next day. He's fired up. 
And the Lord looks at him and he looks at the Lord. Remember, there's 32,000 people gathered together. Now, we know in previous or in the text to come that there's 135,000 Midianites and as many camels as there are sand on the shore. As many, so many camels. You see, you have 32,000 against 135,000. Now, the odds there are four to one. That means for every four Midianites, there's one Gideonite, one Israelite. Every Gideonite, every Israelite has to kill four bad guys and not die in order for there to be victory. Okay, this is kind of a cool movie, like four to one odds. Let's see what happens next because the plot thickens. Look at verse one of chapter seven. It says, then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon. Remember, he had his name changed to Baal Slayer or Baal Contends. And the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the well of Herod so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into, your, into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, my hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart. At once from Mount Gilead in 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. Stop right there. Eyes up here. What in the world? Gideon's got confirmation. The fleece has been out twice. God is patient in his faith building. He's now got the faith of a giant. 32,000 against 135,000. And the Lord says, hey, Gideon, you've got too many men. Sounds like you just said, I have too many men, Lord. What was that? I'm pretty sure we're good. Like this, no, no, no. There's only, I don't know, what? And then the Lord tells him why. You're going to take, they're going to take, we're going to take the glory from God when the victory comes our way. I just know your human nature. And you're going to look to yourself and your victory. You're going to look to yourself and your successes. So I need to make sure there's no confusion. When I give you the hand of the Midianites, you're going to win. I've already said that a number of times, but you have 32,000 men. And so I don't want you to take the glory. See, God knows our human nature. We just love to kind of get in the, the spotlight a little bit with the Lord, you know, and the Lord's taking a selfie and we're kind of like want to get in there with them and you know, we just want a little bit. Make sure my name's in the credits there. Make sure I just kind of, we did this. And the Lord says, I got managed. I just, this is so important. And here's why it's important. Because no man should take the glory of the Lord. God shares his glory with no man. And this is why it's important. Because every man, all men, every woman, all women, everywhere will eventually one day let you down. Everybody. And when you give the glory to another man or to another woman, or when you take it onto yourself and say, it's me leading you, or it's me being this person, or it's that person being that for me, eventually they will, we all will, I will disappoint you. And the Lord says, don't put your faith in any man but me. This is important. God's going to have his way. He's going to build his church. He's going to deliver his people. And he's actually going to use you, and he's going to use me, and he's going to use us. But we must be glory deflectors, glory reflectors. When the glory and the attaboys and the attagals come to us, oh, first and foremost, it's got to be us that let the glory go to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Now, this could happen with 32,000 men. He doesn't have to winnow down his resources. But the Lord knows at this point, no, we got to make sure that this is guaranteed me and my miracle, not you and your strength. So to... Let's not be afraid when it feels like the Lord is winnowing your resources. When things are stacked against you, you feel like you got a, a good chance. We could probably make this happen if we do this, and I position myself here, and that person here, that could work. And the Lord says, let's change it. Let's make it impossible. 
Let's tell all the guys that are here that are afraid to go home. Can you imagine that? You're 32,000 strong. And was like, all right, all you scaredy cats and the ones who don't want to be here, scram, it's over. And they're like, yeah, let's go. And they bounce. And 20,000 people leave. That's a lot of people. Now, as I'm just playing this in my mind, I'm thinking the 20,000 scaredy cats leave and the 10,000 remain. Now, if you had a choice, the scared guys go home, the guys that are ready to rock and roll, warriors, you stay here, the Rambos, you know, the Stallones and the Schwarzeneggers, they're all there. You got 10,000 of them. And the Lord, I believe, looked at the 10,000, and this is what he said next. This is crazy town, because now it went from four to one to 13 to one. Now each of these 10,000 Israelites has to kill 13 Midianites and not die in order to win. It's still doable. Like, this is Hollywood-level scenario. This is crazy Listen to what happens now. It says, now therefore proclaim in the hearing, verse three of the people, saying, whoever's fearful and afraid, him turn, depart, and at once 20,000 of the people return, 10,000 remain. But the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Now at that point, you're like, Gideon, like, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is great odds. This is good odds. And the Lord would say, these aren't God odds. They might be great odds, and they might be good odds, but they're not God odds. This is your odds. This is what you want, Gideon. It needs to be, at least in this story, contextually, God's odds. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's too many people. Look at verse 4. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And there it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go out with you, the same shall go with you. And to whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart on himself. Take those guys, put them over here. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink and the number of those who have lapped putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. But all the the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Stop right there, eyes up here. You guys know this story. He takes him to the spring of Gideon. We've been there. I've been there a couple times, three times. And every time we go to the spring of Gideon, you know, we, we pretend to pose. We grab some of the water and, you know, take a picture like that. You don't drink it because you don't want to get diarrhea later. You know, you're not, not doing that that time, you know. And, and you just take that pose. And, and you can imagine Gideon takes all these guys, 10,000. And 9,700 of them set their sword down, get on two knees, hands on the ground, faces in the water, and they drink 9,700. And Gideon hears from God, take those guys and put them on the left. Put them over here. They're going to be left out. And the other guys, the guys that come down, and they don't go to their knees, but instead they grab water, bring it up to their face, and just drink it this way. 300. You put them over here on the right. Is that your right, my left? Put them over here. Separate these guys. Now, if you're getting, you're like, okay, those 300, they're the ones probably going home, dum-dums. These 9,700, these are the guys that we're going to keep. And God says, no. No, it's actually the exact opposite. <laughs> the 9,700 guys that got down on their faces, they're the ones who are going to be sent away. The 300 guys that didn't drink in that way, that's your team, that's a perfect number. And now we go from four to one to 13 to one to 450 to one. Every Israelite has to kill 450 Midianites and not die to win. 300... We now went from 32,000 to 300. Less, listen, so cool. Less than 1% of what Gideon showed up with in his bank account, in his resources. And the Lord says, man, it's too much. When we are successful, you're going to be puffed up. 
You're going to be prideful, and I do not want that. I resist the prideful. I need, I need you to, I'm going to deliver you. But it's going to be with less than 1% of what you thought was necessary. Can you imagine that right now in your battles you're facing? Well, we've got to do this, we've got to do that, we're going to go there, and all these things, and uh, I don't know if it's going to work. The Lord says, how about you just come with less than 1% of your ideas, your resources, and you trust me. If I have called you, if I am guiding you, I will be faithful to finish the work I began in you. I'll do it. And yet the Lord says in your life and in my life, I'm going to increase the odds against you. These are God's odds. I don't like this. You don't like this. We try and avoid this. We have bank accounts. We have counselors. and We have people around us to avoid all of this. And yet the Lord says, man, trust me. I'm doing something in you. Now, isn't it interesting? Most of you have heard the teachings on these 300 guys and how they were the ones that took one knee, sword in their hand, hand in the water. They were at the ready, ready to engage in battle. They didn't relinquish their sword and get down on all knees, taking unnecessary time to do a necessary task and taking little bird baths. We've heard all kinds of stories, how the 300 were the valiant ones, eyes up, ready to rock and roll. And it was the 300 warriors that were identified for Gideon's mighty men. Have you guys heard that kind of teaching before? I've taught it that way. But that goes against the whole narrative. Goes against the whole story. God's not trying to find the 300 best guys in order to accomplish it. He's actually, in my opinion, trying to find the 300 worst guys. Maybe it was the 300 guys that were the old guys that didn't have the mobility to get all the way down. Maybe it was the 300 old guys that had bad hearing, and when he said, if you're afraid, go home, and they said, what did he say? You know, and they accidentally stayed. I think it was that. It was the guys like, oh, that's a long ways down. I think I'll just, oh, right Oh, you know, they're just like, oh, and these are the guys, and the Lord's like, those are your guys, and Gideon looks at him like, what? And the, you know what it's like to be young, you're running around all fours and jumping around, and everything's easy, and I, I don't know, I'm reading into the story, but I do know that fits with what God loves to do in our lives, that he loves to take the weak things, the base things, the things that don't make sense in order to confound the wise, in order to accomplish his purposes, this is encouraging to me because, again, we're so temporally minded, aren't we? we? Especially as Americans. I can't speak for any other generation. I don't know how it works, but I just know for Americans, man, we want to get all we can, can all we get, and sit on the can. We're just very horizontal, very linear. This is all about here. And the Lord says, hey, man, this all ends in death. You take nothing with you except faith. Nothing on this earth is going to last. It's all going to burn away. And so I, on purpose, have created limitations in your physical body limitations in your relational body, limitations in your spiritual body, so that faith is required, and faith will grow, and God will, will, will raise up mountains in front of you, and giants on the hill yelling at you. Why is he doing this again? Why is this happening? Because the Lord wants you to be a giant slayer and a mountain climber, and he wants you to evidence his reality to a world right now that's looking for a savior, that's looking for help, that's looking for hope. And so Gideon and his 300 mighty men, 300 old men, his 300 men that God uses in this way on purpose. Look at verse 7. 
Then the Lord said to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. And so the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands, and they sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below in the valley, and it happened on the same night. Stop right there, and eyes up here. God then winnows down this group, and there's 300 left. And it's the night before battle. And Gideon's looking at his 300 men. They're all right there. This is crazy. 450 to 1. The odds now are stacked in the favor of the Midianites, but God is up in heaven saying, I will not be defeated. We're going to study one more passage, and then we're going to pray. And we're going to worship. We're going to sing a song. And the way we're going to end today's service is I believe each and every one of you have some mountains in front of you. You do. Some giants screaming at you. Some things going on around you that you wish weren't there. You wish you had more resources. You wish you had more insight. You wish you wouldn't have done the things you've done. You wish it wouldn't have ended this way. And the Lord says, what are you going to do? You think my promises are still good? You think my word is still true? You think my plan's still on time? And that's where faith, forgetting all, I trust him. And we're going to pray for people in just a few minutes. But I want you to see God's gentleness with Gideon. It says it happened that same night, verse 9, that the Lord said to him, arise. And go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. That's a clear word from the Lord. But if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Porah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. And then he went down with Porah, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp. Now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seashore in multitude. Stop right there. Eyes up here. Do you get the scene? God speaks to Gideon one more time. He says, Gideon, I've given you their hand. I've done it. But if you're afraid still, take Purah, your servant, and go sneak down to the camp of the Midianites. I've got one more sign for you. God offers this sign. God said, if you're afraid still, go. What does Gideon do? He goes. He's still afraid. He still has fear even after all of the signs and after all of the direction. Again, this comforts me. It challenges me. And the next time you're afraid, just know that the Lord's not going to flick you away. He's going to give you another opportunity for confirmation, another opportunity for comfort, so that way you can walk with valiancy. Look at verse 13. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion, and he said, dude, I just had this dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and it came and it overturned the tent, and it collapsed. Then the companion answered and said, this is nothing else but the sword of Gideon and the son of Joash, a man of Israel, into his hand, God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshiped and he returned to the camp of Israel and he said, arise for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into your hand. I'm going to have Bryce and the team come up and they're going to lead us in a song. Can you imagine this? Him and Purah, they're scared. So they sneak into enemy territory. And they go on the other side of the tent and they begin to listen. And this guy says, dude, I just had this crazy dream. What was your dream? Well, I was dreaming and all of a sudden this Pop-Tart came rolling down the hill, you know, and this crumb cake or barley bread. All speaking of Gideon, remember where we found Gideon? He was making Pop-Tarts for himself, you know, in, in, the, in the cave. He's a barley bread. And the barley loaf was just, just a loaf of bread and it hit the tent and it toppled it. And instantly the revelation was given, we're doomed. Gideon and his mighty men, we're donezo. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, the Bible says he, he knew then it's all going to be good. And he worshiped. He worshiped. 
He trusted the Lord in that moment and he gave himself over to praise, to worship, to intimacy, to service, to surrender. Because worship is so precious. We, we, we worship on Sundays, but we worship all the time. And you can worship while you're driving. Prayer is a form of worship. Service is a form of worship. Sanctification, abstaining from this world is a form of worship. I find myself when I'm not worshiping the Lord, I'm worshiping something else. I don't know about you. I worship something else, something silly. And the Lord says, Luke, I've confirmed it so many times. My son dying on the cross for your sins, being buried and raising from the dead, pursuing you, blessing you, gifting you. And every single day you wake up and like, what about Bob? And you wake up or, or Groundhog's Day, you wake up every single day and you wonder what happened yesterday? Is it going to happen again? Is the Lord's faithfulness for me? And every single day the Lord confirms it for you. And so what I want to do right now, I'm going to have you guys all stand with me. Gideon's such a picture of humanity, such a picture of the church. This might get crazy. It might not get crazy. But right now, if you're here, maybe just close your eyes and just begin to get in that, that spirit of worship. It's between you and the Lord. You're his Gideon. He's called you. He's chosen you. He sees you. And if you're like Gideon, you got honest doubts. You got questions. You got concerns. You know the enemy. You know the battle. You know what's going on. You're just kind of trying to figure it out. But you also have an open heart towards him. And you want to be used. You want to be touched. You want to be sent out victorious. You want the Lord to go before you. And so if you're here right now, or maybe you're online watching at home, and you, and you just need that extra confirmation of the Holy Spirit, that extra filling, and even by way of repentance, you would say, Lord, forgive. I believe, but help my unbelief. Remember Thomas? Thomas heard the disciples tell him, hey, we saw Jesus. He's alive. We saw his holes. When we saw the guy, and Thomas said, I'm not going to believe until I see. And Jesus, the very next Sunday, went right to Thomas, right to Tommy Boy, and said, Thomas, don't be unbelieving. Be believing. Be believing in the things of God. And your belief will determine your behavior. It'll determine the way you forgive others, bear long with others. If there's something stunting you right now, you're unable to forgive, unable to believe, unable to walk, unable to do these things freely, maybe it comes down to your belief in the goodness of God and His provision for your life. And you simply need to cry out and say, Lord, heal my unbelief. Strengthen me. I'm going to actually right now ask you to come down the center aisle if you just need a strengthening of your faith. God is growing your faith right now in your marriage and your singleness. Right now, don't miss this opportunity. Come down and just say, yes, Lord, I want you to strengthen my faith. I'm just going to confess and I'm going to admit that I need you to move in my life. Come out the aisles right now and come down to the center of the stage and put your hand on the altar right now. Someone's going to put their hand on your back and pray for you. I'm going to go down and pray for people right now. And if you need healing here this morning, healing emotionally or physically. I'd love to pray for you. I've got some oil to anoint you with oil and ask God to heal you, to minister to you. But I believe that God's going to heal people right now as you step out in faith. That as you just move around and say, yeah, Lord, I don't want to be left alone. I don't want to do this alone. I need more in my life. Right now, come out the aisle. Come down from your chair to the stage right now. Say, yes, Lord. I need you. I want you. I want to be used as you used Gideon. And I've got mountains in front of me and giants around me. And I don't want to come up short. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to be found not walking by faith, but instead reacting by feelings. And so, Lord, I repent and I receive more faith for the journey ahead of me. If there's a journey ahead of you, God called you to a task right now, and you look at your resources and it appears that, man, this isn't going to be good, then smile big.
Smile big and say, have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. And humble yourself right now and receive from him grace. I'm actually going to make it just a little bit easier for you. If you need that grace in your life, you need that faith to be strengthened, would you just raise up your hand right now? Just raise up your hand and say, yes, Lord, I need it right now. I need it in my life, Lord. Download it upon me right now. Maybe even as you're making your way down to the altar, Lord, I need this in my life right now. I do not want to be the same man that I was when I got here today. I need to be changed from the inside out. I want to keep running and I want to keep racing. And as you strip away all these resources and all these things that I've been holding on to, may I make room for you. And Lord, would you confirm it? Maybe you're here this morning and you need confirmation. You just, you're just a, a weak baby, just like getting, you need confirmation. It's okay. And you need confirmation. And you need the peace that passes understanding. If that's you, raise up your hand right now and say, Lord, confirm what you're doing in my life right now. Please, Jesus, confirm it. I only want your will. I'll do whatever you say, Lord. I'll go wherever you want, Lord. I'll be whoever you want me to be, Lord. But I need confirmation. I surrender. Raise up your hand right now. If the Lord's calling you somewhere to be something, to do something, and you just say, yes, Lord, have your way. I am your Gideon. I'm your man. I'm your woman all do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Father, we love you. We need you. Forgive us of our sins, Lord. Make us more like you. Make our faith deep. Make it real. Make it authentic, Lord. Even right now as we sing and worship this song, would you, Holy Spirit, move around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's worship the Lord together. I'm going to be down praying for people. If you need prayer, come to the altar or pray for the person next to you. Let's respond to the Lord right now.